0: This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. We ought to dance and sing and jump around here again today, so we better get in the Word. Go with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke is the author here, and it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now, Jesus didn't just teach, but he was the great teacher. He also did. He does. He shows. He he gives us the example. And so Jesus literally had a Ph.D. in life. You want to learn how to do life? Then just listen and pay attention to Jesus. Keep reading. Until the day which he was taken up, after he, the Lord Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, it's interesting right there that the Scripture says that the Lord Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You know what that tells me? Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts 10, 38, if you want another reference to that. So keep reading. To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering of crucifixion by many infallible or unmistakable proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So literally what this is telling us that when the Lord Jesus was risen from the grave for 40 days, he stayed upon the earth. And it's interesting that he taught his disciples things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So when you, you look at this here, the, the risen Jesus, he goes back around these disciples who just days before this had failed him miserably. And what I mean by that is remember when Jesus was arrested. Man, they deserted him. They took off from him. They, they act like they didn't even know him. And one man in particular, Peter, remember he, he denied the Lord Jesus to the point of almost cursing. Now what I want you to see here just for a minute, that Jesus had walked over three years with these the disciples. And so the three-year discipleship that he had with them was almost like it evaporated. It it, it was thrown out the window. And so when you begin to look at this, you begin to say there had to be more than just a a teaching that held these disciples together. There had to be more than just the Word of God that, that would move in them to not only talk about Jesus but to live for Jesus. Now look real close to what he goes on to say here in verse four. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, he didn't suggest this, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard me, or you have heard from me. And, and so there was there was a command to wait for the promise of the Father. Whatever that would mean. Now it almost goes against what you would think that, that the Lord Jesus would, would speak to them. You would almost think that he would say, now listen guys, we got to begin to plan and we got to begin to strategize how we're going to launch all these, these revivals in the city. And how you're going to have to start preaching Jesus and the resurrection. But instead of that right here, the Lord Jesus commands them and he says, Wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Now it must have been extremely important for Jesus to command him to wait. And so then we say, well, what was the commandment of the Father? Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water. Being water baptized is significant. It's a great thing. But he said this, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So the Lord Jesus just clarifies what the promise of the Father was. The promise of the Father was, you got to have the Holy Spirit. Now this had to be incredibly significant or Jesus wouldn't have highlighted what he highlighted here to say, listen, You're going to have to wait. So what he's talking about here is he's transferring the power and the responsibility to his disciples by baptizing them by the same Holy Spirit who had authorized his ministry. So it was like Jesus said this to these disciples. He said, listen, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Until you receive the Holy Spirit. Now again, this is the introduction to the New Testament church. The New Covenant church. So after he says this to them, watch their thought in verse 6. Therefore when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So, in their eyes, he was talking about this, this messianic kingdom. In other words, what are you going to do to end the Roman rule? Is this it? But look what Jesus says. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the season which the Father has put in his own authority. Better translation of that is in Matthew 24, 36, where the Lord Jesus says, No one knows that hour except the Father. The Lord Jesus said, I don't even know. The angels don't even know. So when you see a book out there that says 88 Reasons Jesus is coming back in 2019, don't buy it, okay? Don't waste your money on it, all right? And so literally Jesus was telling him, your great task is not determining when the Father's gonna send me back. God's got a timetable. Your great task It's what? We'll read verse eight. But you shall receive power. A divine promise that I I believe has never been rescinded. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The work of the Holy Spirit within us and upon us the distinctive purpose of the outpouring of the Spirit of God, which would empower the church in ministry with courage, with boldness. But look what he goes on to say. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to all the end of the earth. And so when you begin to look what he's telling us about, was he telling them, don't get ahead of God? Don't do anything. And I believe to agree, you can have the correct message, but will never accomplish the task that the Lord Jesus told us without the Holy Spirit. And that word power there is a word we get called dunamis or dynamite. You're not going to make it without the Holy Spirit. that supernatural ability. And so when you look at this, He didn't say wait for certain manifestations. He said wait for the Holy Spirit. Special ability. Luke 24, 49 says that you would be endued with power from on high. You would be endued with something from heaven. Now when I read that today, I believe that is the great cry of the church right now. Not only to be witnesses, but I I really need the Holy Spirit's power. Keep reading with me. Verse 9. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now I want you to understand something real clear here. Before Jesus ascended into heaven where he's at right now, the Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father, this was the last words that Jesus would tell them. He didn't say fellas I'm coming back He said Be filled with the Holy Spirit Now get this He's telling them all this And they're watching him And all of a sudden He just ascends into heaven He just Peter Pan's right out of here He's gone And and they're watching this Verse 10 And while they looked steadfastly Toward heaven as he went up Behold, two men or two angels stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand up gazing into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will so come in a like manner as you saw him go into heaven. So you know what he's telling? He said, Listen, boys, he's gonna come back. And it's gonna be very similar to the same way he left. And so it's like these angels were reassuring him, he's coming back, it's gonna happen. Keep reading, verse 12. Then they, the eleven disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And then when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphas, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, I want to highlight prayer and supplication because fervent prayer or persistent prayer, you see it all over again and again and again and again in the whole book of Acts. And I believe it's something the church needs to get back to. To say, man, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to uh, supplications. We're going to petition God day after day after day. And so note in there, they're there together in one accord with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I want you to pay close attention to that verse right there. The birthing of the covenant of the New Testament church. They're waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now pay attention who's in there. The 11 disciples with women. Dear God, what were those disciples thinking? One translation literally says, with several women and Mary the mother and Jesus' siblings. This was the New Testament birth. And, other, and, and there was women there. Incredible, huh? And so when I begin to look at verse 14 and you see who, who was in this. Not only was there women, but there were fishermen, tax collectors. One who was a member of a political group, the Zealots. And so you have this thought, why would Jesus use these guys? Why didn't Jesus get a bunch of the biblical scholars? People who knew the, the, the law inside and out. You know why I believe Jesus chose these ones? Because Jesus knew if people will get a hold of being filled with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit takes men that are ordinary and makes them extraordinary. And I believe this is still to this day. That when we, we allow God to come in here, remember last week if you were here in Ephesians 3.16, the Apostle Paul said this, to be strengthened with might through the Holy Spirit in the inner man. That was a prayer of the Apostles Paul. i got to be strengthened in the inner man by the Holy Spirit. The prophet Zechariah said in Zechariah 4.6, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by the Spirit of God. so the New Testament church, we've drifted from these commands. We've tried to be, uh, have church. We've tried to be men and women of God without the Holy Spirit. It's not going to happen. You can't have chocolate milk without chocolate. And you're not going to have the power of, the, of God, the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit. So I go back at the age of 20, and people would say to me, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would begin to see scriptures, I would see the Word of God. All these passages, John 16, John 7, verse 37 through 39. When you see all through here in Acts 2, and, and I begin to look at the Lord Jesus' words, and the truth is the matter, I really didn't fully understand or have a clue about what the Holy Spirit would mean or who He would mean to me, but I kept saying, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I said, I'm in. What do I do? Well, just the way you receive salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. So I asked the Holy Spirit to come in. And whoo, I thank God that's happened. Keep reading with me. Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, oftentimes, when you mention the word Pentecost, people grab onto their chair. They have this crazy thought. Oh no, pastors are getting ready to freak out on us. This holy roller craziness. This wilding out. I'm Pentecostal. Let me help you a little bit with that word Pentecostal. Pentecostus. The word Pentum means five. The word kosti or Costus in the uh, in the Greek means to the tenth power. This ought, to, this ought to satisfy your soothe you a little bit, okay? The word Pentecost literally means 50, all right? So I'm not here to freak out on you. Oftentimes when you mention that people think he's getting ready to go charismatic on us. Well this is what this means. it meant 50 and it says that the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. They were in agreement, harmony leading to action. Now, what's interesting here about the day of Pentecost in Jewish custom, they had three major feasts every year the feast of Passover, which was in the spring, they had the feast of, of Pentecost, or the feast, the feast of weeks, or the first fruits. And then the the, the last feast was in the fall, at the fall in season of harvest, called the Feast or Tabernacle, the Feast of Trumpets. Now I'm going to come back and I'm going to highlight those three feasts because they play into effect even with us as New Testament believers. But when you see the Feast of Pentecost, this was what was going on. And in Jewish customs, man, you came. Those were big things. Those weren't you can take it or leave it. You were to come to be a part of that. So they show up here. And they were all filled with one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Something from heaven. Not something man-made. Something from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind. And it, hit, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so when you see as a rushing mighty wind. It's not like wind. Or it's not when, but it's like when. Suggesting the unseen power of the Holy Spirit. Ten days later. Now, when this takes place, they've gone from the 11 disciples to the women and Jesus' family. And if you were to go back, and I didn't read it, but in Acts 1.15 it says, now there's 120 of them there. The church is multiplying. There's 120 here. And, and this is what's happening. And, and note in there, the Holy Spirit came. And look what it says in verse 3. Then there appeared to them all 120 divided tongues of fire, and one set upon each of them, And when you see this here, it's not fire, but like fire, which was a symbol of the divine presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing when you see fire, fire has two abilities. It purifies, but it also destroys. And so they bring the Holy Spirit in here. I I, I flip back here because I want to read this to you. This is Luke 3, verse 16. It says, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water. But one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So literally, what John the Baptist prophesied or spoke, it's coming to pass. And and all 20 of them, so a lot of times people say, well, the Holy Spirit was for only the original 11. Well, there's 120 here. And the divided tongues set upon each one of them and the fire. Verse 4. And they were all, all 120 of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, some of you, you tightened up when I mentioned the word they spoke with other tongues. That's biblical, okay? I don't believe personally. That you have to speak in other tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't find that in the Bible. But it is a gift. Now, I'm not here today to debate that, all right? The thing I want to focus on is we can see right here through the scriptures that something supernatural came from heaven. And it touched every one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I begin to look at this and I think, okay... What if we don't pay attention to the mandate that the Lord Jesus would be filled with the Holy Spirit? Without the Holy Spirit, you know what the the, the church, the Christian life is based on? Me, you. Human strategies, human plans, human purposes. I don't know about you, but I don't want a label attached to me that says made in America, made in China. I, I, I want a, a, a tag on me that says made from heaven. Something that you can look and say, we, we got to take the equation of man out of it. Where it is, it is such a, a God-breathed thing. And so when you look at this, if, if all I'm going to go by is man, the result is that if we become spiritually dead. We're alive, but we're really dead. And I don't believe that was God's design. God's design says, man, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to hold your place there. I'm going to come back to Acts 2 later on this morning. But go with me to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So, so where I'm I'm heading with this to, to help us a little bit, just to get the idea of my thoughts where I'm at this morning. We're going to look at two men in the Bible, first Apostle Paul, and then we'll go back to the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, he was a Pharisee. He he was a biblical scholar. Uh, some passages say he, he was brilliant. But if you were to study the Apostle Paul, he did not like the birth of the New Testament church. He was the one that was going around persecuting the Christians. And in Acts 9, he has this encounter. And remember, he gets blind and the Lord comes. And ultimately, the Apostle Paul gets born again. He becomes what we would call a Messianic Jew. But in Acts 9, verse uh, 17, God sends this man named Ananias, and he says to him, he says, Ananias, or Ananias says to Paul, he said, Brother Paul, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so when I get to this passage here in 2 Corinthians, we're talking about a man who was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we begin 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. Now we have such trust or reliance or confidence through Christ toward God. I've got to get born again. i got to give my heart to Jesus. Verse 5. Not that we are sufficient or qualified of ourselves or our abilities to think anything is being from ourselves. Well, I'm, I'm smart, pastor. Well, again, if you know what he said, this this sufficiency can't be from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, I begin to look at other translations. The New American Standard said that our adequacy is from God. The New International Version says our competence is from God. And so immediately this, this man who was a, a Jewish scholar who was brilliant, who wrote the most uh, the majority of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, "Don't trust your, your sufficiency from yourself. Don't, don't think more highly of yourself than you are because our sufficiency is from God. So if my sufficiency is from God, Boy, I better be quick to say, thank you, Father God. Thank you for being so good to me. Thank you for for making me look so wise. But we roll into verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Now, the new covenant was through the Lord and Savior Jesus. I'm saved by grace through Christ Jesus. So he goes on to say this, not of the letter, not of the written code, but of the Spirit. Now listen, listen. For the letter kills. And so what he's talking about here, the external code of the Old Covenant, it kills. The Old Testament law, it shows us The need, but it was powerless to meet the need. So he said, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Only the Spirit gives life. So he's talking about this inward power of the Spirit of God himself enable us to keep God's law. And so guess what the Apostle Paul said? He said, listen, you can know all the word you want to know. You can know the message, but without the power behind it, you're not going to get anywhere. This is what the Apostle Paul said. So we've gone so far in our churches a lot of times to say, well, all we got to do is preach the word of God. Well, I believe in the word. But the only way the word of God comes alive into us is by the Holy Spirit but too many times anymore we we don't want the fiery word of God I I, I don't want confrontation through the word of God and so when we have that thought there, there there's little interest in in the word scripture becomes dull scripture becomes tedious and when that happens there's something seriously out of sync I like to say 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 this way. When all you have is the Word, you dry up. But when all you have is the Spirit and you eliminate the Word, you blow up. But when you combine the Word with the power of the Holy Spirit, you grow up. And so this becomes wonderful here with, with the Apostle Paul saying, Listen, you got to preach the word, but you got to have the Holy Spirit behind it. Because without the Holy Spirit, it becomes a bunch of candy. It becomes a bunch of fluff. But something happens when you incorporate the Holy Spirit within the word. Now, go back with me to the book of Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And when we get into the book of Acts, remember that I had highlighted this guy named Peter. And when you study Peter's life, before, Peter begot, before he got filled with the Holy Spirit, he always had the, the tendency to put his foot in his mouth. This is the same Peter who at one time, he rebuked Jesus. you got to be a genius to rebuke Jesus. And so, when this Peter, he he is in the upper room, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter begins to speak the Word of God with, with clarity. But he's got a power behind him. He quotes the prophet Joel. This is Acts 2, verse 17. And, and the prophet Joel prophesied this in Joel 2. And Peter gets up and he begins to speak not only with clarity but with power. And I really believe this that the apostles were looking at like, Pete had a red bull today. He had to be taking five-hour energy. Something's up with him. And, and so here I'm I'm gonna jump to uh, verse 29, and when we get to verse 29 here, the apostle Peter now, he is speaking Psalm 16. He begins to preach off of Psalm 16. So we go to Acts 2, verse 29, and he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. So when Peter is talking about this, this wasn't about King David. This was thousands of years before. And King David begins to speak that there's going to be one that's going to come right through his bloodline. The Lord Jesus was through the bloodline of King David. And he's saying, This is who I'm talking about. Now, look what he goes on to say in verse 31. And and David, foreseeing this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, that Jesus' soul wasn't left in hell. Do you know, for three days, Jesus went to the belly of the earth to hell? And that's what he's saying right here. Jesus wouldn't be left in hell. And he goes on to say, Nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father, look at this, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and you hear. John 7 verse 39, it says, Those believing in Jesus would receive the Holy Spirit. So this is what Peter, he's boldly declaring to him and he's preaching the word to him. And he said, what you now see and hear, it's a result of the Holy Spirit. But watch what takes place here. For David did not ascend to the heavens, but he said to himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, so Peter here, he's not giving them a little fluff and cotton candy. He's not saying, you know what, we just need to sit around the fire and sing kumbaya. He's, he gets bold with them and he says, This Jesus whom you crucified, you put him to death. Verse 7, 37. Now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart. They were stabbed in their heart. Many translations will say they were stung in their heart. They were pierced in their heart. So what you begin to see here is not only did he speak the word of God, but the Holy Spirit began to convict their heart. This is uh, uh, John 16 verse 8. He said, the Spirit of God will convict your heart. And so this was what was happening. So this Peter, he's speaking with passion and boldness. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in their heart. Let me ask you. When's the last time you were stung in heart? You were pierced in heart. There's times when our praise and worship team will begin to sing songs. And it will stir up something in my heart to to begin to to worship. Something touched my heart. It came alive to me. He won't relent until he has it all. It's just not words that come out of my mouth and it's expression from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to raise a hallelujah. And sometimes, when the Word of God goes forward and you hear a sermon, you begin to say, How did Pastor know my my feelings? How did Pastor understand what I'm going through? How did Pastor know this or that was taking place? It's like he's been reading my mail, he's talking to my wife. Pastor doesn't know. That's the Holy Spirit. That's what this happens here when he begins to cut us to heart. And he doesn't cut us to heart to punch us in the head. He cuts us into heart to say, come on, come on, respond to me. Now watch how they respond in verse 37 there. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do when the Holy Spirit begins to confront us? Now now look what Peter says to them. Then Peter said to them, repent, repent. And repent is, is to do a 180. Repent is to not only confess my sins, but change the lifestyle. And so with repentance, God doesn't want to just come into your heart and rearrange the furniture. God wants to come in your heart and renovate the whole inside of us. And he's still in the renovation business. When we come before him and say, Oh, Father God, I've failed, I've sinned. And Pete said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You know what he just said? You gotta get born again. Just what Jesus said there in John 3 to Nicodemus. He said, you got to get born again. How do I get born again? I repent of my sins. And then I say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be Lord of my life. But he didn't stop there. Note, there's another and. And look at this and. And you shall receive the gift of. Of the Holy Spirit. One translation says. And then you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter was saying here. Not only do I want you to get born again. You got to get filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he knew. To keep being Christ like. And keep moving in this thing called earth and life. I got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I got to get the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. For the promise for the promise, we go all the way back to Acts 1, verse 4. Remember what he said? Wait for the promise. And the promise was the Holy Spirit. Now look what he says. And, they, and he said, and wait for the promise, which is to you and to your children. And to all who are far off, and every time I get in that passage and study that phrase, to all who are far off, you know what it literally says? To even the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit was even for us, but he didn't quit. He said, to your kids and to the Gentiles, as far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And so the promise was a gift for every believer In every generation. And Peter's words clearly say to every believer in every era. Now. We go back to the three feasts. This is what becomes significant for me and you in here today. Here's the question. Can I experience the, the, the feast of Passover? Remember, the Passover had to do in the book of Exodus where the Lord said, if that blood is marked on your house, then you'll be saved from that spirit of death. How do I come under the blood? I receive the Lord Jesus as Lord of my life. So to answer that question, you and me, we can experience Passover. We can experience salvation right now, today. But can we experience this, the, the Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of Trumpets? And the Feast of Tabernacles or Trumpets signifying that there's coming a day when there's going to be a blast of the trumpet. And it will be a blast like none of us have ever heard because it's going to get the ear of every person that's on this earth. The second coming of Christ. And so to answer that question, Yeah. We can experience the Feast of of Trumpets or Tabernacle. Whether I'm still here on this earth or I'm in heaven, I'm going to experience it. Because he said, we're either going to send up or we're going to meet him in the air. One of the two. So yeah, I can experience that. But when I talk about the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks or the First Fruit, can I experience that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, it's very difficult to be Christ-like without the Holy Spirit. He comes on the inside of me. And He begins to help me. Remember, He's the helper. One of His, his covenant names of the Holy Spirit is He's the comforter. He wants to comfort you. You know, in my house... Actually, on my bed, there's a comforter. And that comforter, for the most part, to me, it's off limits. I'm not supposed to mess around with that comforter. It's it's really just kind of for decoration, I found out. But the comforter of the Holy Spirit, that's not what he's about. He wants to help us, he wants to comfort us, he wants to strengthen you, he wants to be your standby, he wants to be your intercessor, he wants to be your advocate. And so when I begin to look at the book of Acts, and I see these men who had failed miserably, Again, these were men that had gone through a three-year discipleship with the Lord Jesus. But when the the rubber hit the road, but when they hold fast to Jesus' words, wait for the promise, all of a sudden, these men became powerful. And I personally believe this, that these men would have never died like many of them died if this whole thing with the Lord Jesus was a fraud. They lived incredibly for Him. They were all almost martyred, almost every one of them. Do you think you would die if it wasn't real? And so what happened is the Holy Spirit took that three-year discipleship The word and all the teachings of Jesus. And he combined it with the Holy Spirit. And they became men and women of power. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit FaithChurchLubbock.com.